that we will get locked in right now. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes to see and our ears to hear and give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds. Help us to tune into you. And Lord, I pray that your word will go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Do a deep, profound work in every person. Lord, help us to really see with eyes of revelation and to really hear what you're saying and for it to become a part of who we are. We want to be washed in the water of the word and we want to be changed. We want to come into a new place. We thank you for your word. We need the move of the Holy Ghost, but we also need the word. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, you know, there's a revelation about, in the Bible it says about greasing my path with butter. And that's a, that's a weird thing to say. No matter who you are, right? And so, grease your path with butter. What in the world is that talking about? Well, what that means is it's a revelation. As the Bible will say things, and a lot of times people read it, what in the world? Let me encourage you when you get in, into, you're reading the Bible and you get to a what in the world moment. Y'all have had those? Now, come on. I know you guys have had multiple times. What in the world is that? When you get to one of those moments, make a note of that and begin to pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to show you something. What the, your path being greased with butter is this. Whenever you're a child in the kingdom of God, God gives you the milk of the word. That's what it's described as. It's the milk of the word. It's like you give a baby milk. And you've got to learn the milk of the word. The Bible says to get established in present truth. So you've got to get established in the milk. But as that milk of the word keeps getting in you and God is churning it, you know how they make butter, and God is churning that milk in you and keeps churning it, keeps churning it, pretty soon you learn how to walk with God like you're supposed to and your path is greased with butter. Meaning now that word of God has become established in your life and it affects your walk in a powerful way. So, when you read that, remember that. We've got to get established in the foundations. Amen? All right. I'm going to talk about the resurrected life. I'm going to talk about the mountain of God. It's going to be a little deep. Also, at one point, I will warn you before, just kind of curl up your toes because I'm coming after some toe stepping a little bit. It's all right. Let's get ready. But I will warn you at that moment. But um, anyway, I'm going to talk about the resurrected life and going up the mountain of God. Okay, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus teaches us. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, and such a large crowd gathered unto him. He got into a boat and sat in it. Now think about this. I'm going to walk you through this. Jesus, there was such a big crowd. Jesus got in a boat. They floated him out a little bit, and there was a crowd there. He's standing. We're sitting in the boat, and he's preaching to him because the crowd was so intense. And um, while the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables. It's interesting that Jesus taught him parables. But he said this, A farmer went out to sow seed as he was scattering the seed. Now, want you visualize this. A farmer, especially in those times, would have had some kind of a cloth, would have had it around his shoulder like this, and there would have been seed in this. And he would have gone through, and it would have been plowed, and he would take his seed, and he would be putting it down in these furrows that would have previously been dug. He was out there sowing seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell upon rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still, and I want you to remember this for the whole sermon, okay? Other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, either 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, once you picture this, this is the foundation of the whole sermon. You got 30, 60, and 100 fold. What that means is you take 100 seeds and you put 100 seeds in the ground. 30 fold is just that 30 seeds took root and grew out of 100. 60-fold is that 60 seeds took root and grew. If you took 100 seeds and planted all of them and all 100 seeds took root and grew, that would be a 100-fold harvest. Okay? 
All right. So the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? I would have asked the same thing. Because if you think about it, you're, you're thinking, Jesus, why don't you just talk plain to people? You know, why don't you just tell them just real plain? But there's a reason. And Jesus said, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Now here's an interesting principle. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. I'll explain that in a moment. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, those people out there, they don't hear and understand. In them is fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah said, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They are hardly, they hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it. And hear what you hear but did not hear it. I'm going to explain this moment. This is deep. It's okay we go a little deep tonight. Jesus then went on and said, listen then. Now he's talking to his disciples. He said, these people out here, the crowds that were by the shores, a lot of those people. Those people, they have eyes but they don't really see. They have ears but they don't hear. Their hearts are calloused. In other words, Jesus is saying, they just don't get it. But for you, he said, now I'm going to explain it to you because you have eyes to see, you have ears to hear, and I can bring to you revelation. I'm going to show you that in a moment, but we have to be able to see things beyond the natural. That's why you'll see some people out there that are atheists or whatever, and they're like, I've read the Bible, and I know all about it, it, and then they'll start attacking it. But even though they have eyes that they can see the black print on the white page and they are literate so they can read the words, even though they see in the natural, they don't see. They don't see spiritually. Are you hearing me? They can see in the natural, but they cannot understand. They cannot see what the Holy Spirit is showing. They can't see revelation. They hear things. They'll flip through the television, hear some TV preacher and go, you know, and change the channel. They heard, but yet they didn't hear. So Jesus went on to explain this, and I'll get a little deeper in a moment. He said, listen to what the parable of the sower means. He's talking now to his disciples. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That's the seed along the path. Now let me just break this down. That's why it is so important, you guys. I'm going to tell you right now. You better make the gospel clear. That's why people like Ray Comfort and them that are teaching you about this, that's why it is so important what they're telling you. Because there are many people that they hear the gospel, but they don't understand it. It's not made clear to them. And I love the Hell's Best Kept Secret, as, as Ray Comfort teaches it, where you help people understand why they need a savior. You know, you take them through where they understand that they've sinned and they've broken God's laws and they've, their sin has separated them from God. And, and Jesus came to, to so their sins can be forgiven and, and they, can, they can enter into heaven. So when they understand, you make it clear to them. That's why it's so important. You walk by somebody and just tell them something, something flippantly. You know, Jesus has a plan for your life. Jesus loves you. That's wonderful and that's true. But they need to understand what the gospel really is. And once you preach it with clarity to them and they understand it, then they can be saved. All right. So whenever the gospel's going out, it's like seed being sown. And Satan is coming to steal the seed. Second thing. The seed that falls on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and receives it at first with joy. But since they have no root, they last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So not only do people have to understand the word of God, but you can understand there's a great spiritual warfare going on over the lost souls. I've done a lot of street evangelism in my day. 
And trust me, there's a lot of spiritual warfare. I've seen some weird things. And once you get out on the streets and you start witnessing to the lost and you talk to people, I'm telling you, you can see the warfare going on in people. And that's why it's important that we take the time before you go out witnessing that you bind up the devil's kingdom. Let me explain that. Paul said in, I believe, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, if I'm not mistaken, he said, the God of this age, speaking of the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they can't see. So take a few minutes to bind up what it is that's trying to blind them. Number one. Number two, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to prepare their soil of their hearts and minds. Prepare them, Lord. Holy Spirit, get them ready. Give us divine appointments and prepare those people. And we bind up what the devil's trying to do to hinder them from getting saved. And then when you go out there, you've prepared the harvest field, so to speak. And you give them a clear-cut gospel. You don't tell them what they want to hear. You tell them what the truth is. Okay? But after they get saved, this is the second part, the seed that falls on rocky ground, there are people that hear the gospel and they accept Jesus as their Savior, but because they don't have deep roots down in the gospel, they don't have deep roots into the kingdom, they're, in other words, they're still just a little babe in Christ, all of a sudden persecution comes. And the Bible promises you're going to have persecution. All of a sudden now friends turn against you. Your family doesn't understand and they begin to persecute. You begin to go through stuff in life. You go through spiritual warfare. And somebody that doesn't have deep roots and they're established, they've been taught and, and they've been prepared for this, they can fall away. And pretty soon you hear about, you know, they're out of church, they're away from God or whatever. Then, Jesus said, the seed that fell among thorns is someone who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. So then you've got people. So let's walk through the categories. Number one, you've got people that don't understand the gospel. It's not brought to them. Either it was brought to them and the devil came in and blinded them to it, but they don't understand. It wasn't presented well. It was some feel-good gospel. It was some watered-down thing. It was something that you were just trying to tickle their ears. You just wanted to tell them what they wanted to hear. Whatever it was, it wasn't the true gospel. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. Satan came in, stole the seed. They're lost. Second category. The Word of God went forth and they understood it, but they didn't get established. They didn't get roots. They didn't get established in what they believed. They weren't ready for what they were going to face. Persecution came. They fell away. Now, here's the third category. These are people that have gotten saved and they've gotten some roots about them. But Satan begins, because they've got a call in their life or whatever, Satan begins to now the thorns of life. They, they All of a sudden now, their hours at work are more important than church. Now, um, you know, making the money has become a top priority. That's why it says in here that, you know, the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word. All of a sudden now their life is revolving around just the, this, this, the time of schooling, the time of work, the, the, the family situation, all this stuff. And, and all the pressures of life begin to squeeze down on them. And for whatever reason, they're out of church. They're not, doing, they're not really serving the Lord. That fire has died down. The passion seems to be gone. They're not really bearing fruit for the Lord. Now they're just going through life. Is this making sense? That's why Jesus taught us seek first the kingdom. Okay? And then other things will be added, but you've got to seek first the kingdom. All right, then there's the last category. The seed that fell on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. Now that's important right there. They hear the word and they understand what they hear. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So let me ask you this, because I believe most of the people in here at varying levels of spiritual maturity and all that, I believe you love the Lord, you're on fire for God, those are live stream. So in your life, I believe you're seeking first the kingdom, going after God. So you would fall under the category of those, the seed that fell on good soil. But in your life, are you yielding 30-fold, are you yielding 60-fold, or are you yielding 100-fold harvest? That's what you need to ask yourself. 
Let me read you something that's not in your notes. This is Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 11. I'm just going to read this, but I want you to follow this. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once, he said this, he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. He then called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. And he said, Put this money to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. So he just had one. But he said, Sir, your mina that I have, I've, I've been able to invest this, and now it's earned ten more. Well done, good and faithful servant. This master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in very small matter, with little things, take charge of ten cities. <coughs> This is speaking of when Jesus comes back in the millennial reign and those that have been faithful are going to reign with him and all of that. Why don't you think about that? He gave the guy a dollar, whatever, and he earned $10 with it, and now he's a ruler over 10 cities. That's kind of a, a pretty good promotion. You follow me? The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five. Follow this. One mina, ten. One mina, five. It's like the hundredfold, sixtyfold, you see what I'm saying? And he said, good job, you take five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you didn't sow. And his master said, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew then that I'm a hard man, taking what I did not put in, reaping what I didn't sow. Why then didn't you at least put the money on deposit in the bank so that when I came back, I would at least got it with interest? <clears throat> then he said to those standing by, take his minor from him and give it to the one who has ten. And they said, sir, he already has ten. Why are you giving him an eleventh one? You know. And Jesus replied, I tell you that everyone who has will be given more. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away from him. Are you seeing how important it is to be faithful with the little? Jesus gives you a dollar and expects you to be faithful. You know what I'm saying? He wants you to be faithful. And then whenever you're faithful with it, then you're a ruler over ten cities. I mean, that's that's exceptional. you know. But it, the point is, is that Jesus is expecting us I believe that those that I'm preaching to, you're not among, obviously not among those that the seed fell on the path. Okay, you, You've heard the word and you've understood. You're not among those that the seed fell on rocky soil. You've got roots. You've, you've been faithful in church. You're, you, you love the Lord. You're, you know, and you're not among those that the thorns of life have choked out your love for God. Okay, You haven't let the cares and worries of making money and the things of the world to choke out your fruitfulness. So I'm talking to people that are good soil and you got some roots about you. I want you to think about it. Are you at a 30, 60, or 100-fold level? The 30-fold level is even though the Lord has invested 100 seeds, so to speak, in your life, you're only bringing forth a 30-fold yield. And the 60-fold, God has sown like 100 seed in your life, so to speak, but you're only bringing forth 60-fold. I don't know about you, but whatever God has sown into my life, I want to be faithful to use it. If he's given me a, a gift of prophecy, I want to prophesy. If he's given me the gift of healing, I want to pray for the sick. Um, I want to be somebody that is a prayer warrior. I want to be somebody that's a witness. You know, I, I want whatever he's put in my life, I want to... Use it. I don't want to stand before him on judgment day and, and, and it had this little mina that I had wrapped up in a cloth and, you know, had it tucked away and hid. And, um, you know, and the Lord's like, why didn't you use what I gave you? I'm going to tell you, those, there are people out there that God may have just given them one gift in life. You know, 
And they're going to be so faithful with that. They're going to stand for the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, take ten cities. And I'm telling you, that's actually going to happen. I know that sounds radical, but when Jesus comes and takes over the earth, okay, millennial reign, um, his people are supposed to reign with him. There are going to be people doing that. And so Jesus is going to, you know, judge people. He's going to say, look, you've been faithful with the little that I gave you. So you're going to rule over ten cities over here. You know, and that's going to be literal one day. That's why it's in here. So the question is now, how do we get to bear more fruit? Now let me tell you this. You know, you start being fruitful and you start going after God to bear more fruit. <laughs> and here's what he'll do. So in my house, I've got these, these, uh, this tree trimmer, you know what I'm talking about? And um, every once in a while my tree gets low and so I have to cut off some branches. And John 15 says that the Lord will prune you so that you'll be more fruitful. You know, and there's those, um, those trees out in Georgia, like the orange trees, I believe, that they have, they'll prune those things in a way to where those branches, I mean, they are just so full. They know how to prune them just right. The Lord knows how to prune you just right. And so here you are trying to bear fruit, and you're praying, Lord, I want to bear more fruit for your kingdom. The Lord says, okay, snip. Ow! What was that? And the Lord's like, well, I'm snipping off some things that need to go. So here you are wanting to bear more fruit, and the Lord gets it out, and he just cuts off some stuff. So the Lord rewards your um, fruitfulness and your desire to pursue him with pruning. So this is the process. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, this is important, I forget what's behind. That's important. I forget what's behind. And I press toward, I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And another version says the high calling. So, you got to forget what's behind. But I want you to notice this. I want to know what? The power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Now that's a thing to say, isn't it? How many people out there would say, yeah, okay, I've signed up for Christianity, I've accepted Jesus and all this. Now, my greatest prayer and aspiration is this, that I will share in Christ's sufferings and become like him in his death. Did you pray that yesterday? So, this is the process. You want the high calling, you want to press on toward great things, we all do. You want to go deeper in Christ, you want to go to new levels and and, and you're seeking God, but you've got to understand that there's a process of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death so that you can attain the resurrection. Now, let me shift gears here. So now, what I'm going to talk about is coming into the resurrected life. Because this has to do with bearing a hundredfold harvest. So, the problem is, all of us, have got to get to a place where we're growing in our faith. I'll never understand. I'll probably preach this places and it'll probably take people off. I don't think it'll bother you. But I'll never understand why some people out there, and I, I don't believe this is you, but some people out there are so arrogant that the thought of somebody saying to them, you know, maybe you need to come up in your faith level. Maybe, you know, somebody could say it to me and I'm like, you're probably right. You know, my faith could grow. I need my faith to grow. I want to be further along in my faith a year from now than what I am now. So that doesn't bother me. Why? Where has the body of Christ gotten so arrogant that somebody can't say something like that to them? You'll pray for them and they, they don't see something. And say, so well, maybe your faith level needs to come up. So strengthen your faith. And they get so offended. That's a, that's a baby. That's a babe in Christ, easily offended. <clears throat> but the truth of the matter is that we've got to learn how, and this is for all of us, We've got to learn how to see that the world lives under natural laws. But God does not. So the world, it seems like 
the economy is going this direction, so the natural flow in the natural for people that are caught up in that would be that the economy goes this way, so that means, well, the finances will also go this way. Well, the, here's the thing about that. that. Yes, that's true, but if you're in Christ, the economy may go this way, but God's supernatural provision can invade earth, and your finances won't be shaken at all. So let, let me... So the doctor says this about something, and that's the natural. That's a natural diagnosis. That's a natural prognosis of what's to come. It's in the natural. But you've got to understand that God is supernatural. Supernatural means superior to the natural. So in other words, the natural flow is this way, and then heaven invades earth, and everything changes. We've got to get to a place to where we're bearing 100-fold, where we're not bound by and living underneath the, the natural laws. Because things will seem this way in the natural. And there's no way. It seems like there's no way that there's change. But God is supernatural. And God can change anything. That's why Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. All things. Now we know the natural. I was just watching a show about a, the Assyrian Street Revival. There was a man that came in that had no arm on his right. No arm at all. Now, the natural is, we know in the natural that we're not like lizards, okay? You cut off an arm, it doesn't just grow back on its own, okay? So, we know that in the natural, that man is stuck with one arm from now on. He goes to the Assyria Street Revival, they pray for him, and it, right there in front of everybody, his arm just grew out like brand new. That's supernatural. What I'm saying is, is God is not bound by natural laws. Jesus sits down, the people in 50 and 100s, there was thousands of people. There are thousands of people. And he says, how much food we got here? He said, well, we got a couple loaves of bread, a couple fish. And Jesus says, all right. And there, there's, what? I mean, there's no way this is going to work. Why? Because they're thinking natural. There's no way this will feed more than one person. Maybe two. That's it. But Jesus understood that all things are possible to him that believes, and he understood that God is not bound by natural laws. Natural laws, you break the bread and you eat it and it's gone. Supernatural laws, you break the bread and it keeps multiplying. So Jesus prays over it and blesses it and starts breaking it and it just keeps multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. I remember hearing about David Hogan. He said, he was telling a story where they had the same thing happen. They had some big uh, conference where all of his people would come once a year. And they had prepared for a certain amount of people and a certain amount of food. Now, where they're at in Mexico, it's, it's not like here you run to Walmart. I'm just telling you. They're out in the, the it's just different. They, they had prepared a certain amount of meat, a certain amount of frijoles, a certain amount of tortillas, okay? That's, that's what was there, okay? And when all the people came, there was no way that they were going to feed these people. And they had them there for days, and they just had enough for maybe one meal, and that's it. They, they were supposed to feed these people for days. So Brother David goes in there, says, we need a miracle, praise. And he said, this is what happened. He said they, uh, they had a big copper pot full of the beans, the frijoles, okay, a big pot. And it should have only lasted one night. He said that they, they fed everybody in there, and they came back and looked at the pot of beans, and it was still full. They went over to the stack of tortillas. They had taken those tortillas and fed everybody there. And the stack of tortillas was still the same height. Supernatural. They had gone over. They had meat. Same thing with the meat. Everything that they served supernaturally stayed exactly where it was. He said that happened the whole time they were there. Let me just tell you, God is not bound by the natural. There's another story about Brother David. David. You know, probably a lot of stories from him are great because he, he lives by what I'm preaching. But he said one time he had to cross this river in his truck. Some of you guys know the story. And then he's in his big truck, and he pulls up, and it had come a serious rain. And this river was raging. It wasn't like a little stream. Okay, this was a very high. If your truck got caught in this, it would flip over. You'd be way down there. It'd be horrible. But he knew God had spoken to him to go across the river, and he had to go. And so he prayed over his truck. It's a true story. Some people won't believe it, but it happened. 
prayed over his truck, floored it, went in the river. His truck goes down, it goes pitch black. He said he was scared, so he turned on the lights. <laughs> he's down there, he's got it floored, and he said his truck just supernaturally went in the river and popped up the other side and kept going. Now, you and I both know that a truck cannot, the engine would die. The truck cannot run underwater, so how'd the truck run? How did the current of the river, which was over the top of that truck, how did that not wash him way downstream? I've got a lot of stories like this. One more. There was a story where a missionary, a missionary had gone. There was a man that um, the pastor had said, you need to pray for this man. He was in the corner. And this man was covered in cloths. And the missionary went over there and picked it up and was like, whoa. And the man had leprosy. For him. It was at a far along leprosy where the nose is gone, the ears are gone, the fingers and toes have fallen off, and the skin is like melting. It's far along leprosy. And it scared the missionary. He wasn't expecting that. And so he said that he just believed God, reached in there and prayed, and he said it was like, it was like a slime. His skin was like a slime. Anyway, laid hands on him and prayed in Jesus' name. Left. Washed his hands and left. He was scared, man, you know. Anyway, he said he comes back like a year later. And this guy comes up to him and says, Brother so-and-so, you know me. And he said, I've never seen you for my life. And uh, he said, hey, do you know me? He said, uh, I was that leper. This guy had a brand new face, brand new nose, ears. His fingers had grown back. His toes had grown back. In the natural that is not possible. Leprosy is incurable. And it's not something that reverses on its own. Uh, this was a creative miracle. So the point being that God lives outside the realm of natural laws. You've got to get this in your thinking. If you want to come into a resurrected life, if you want to come into a life of seeing the supernatural, your, your whole thinking has got to change. You know, in the natural, dead people don't come back to life. Right? Once you're dead, you're dead. There's a decaying process. But, but in Jesus, there's been multiple times that people have laid hands and prayed over the dead, and they've come back to life. I was just watching a story where a man that was, uh, in, works in the ambulance had been praying that the Lord would use him, and there was a man that had overdosed on drugs and was dead. And um, he had prayed, and he said God gave him um, a word in, in tongues. Anyway, he just blurted it out in tongues, and he was praying. And he said that guy came back to life. I mean, his eyes popped open and he shot up and he started talking about that he was sinking downward into hell and these demons were there and they were tormenting him and, and it was freaking people out, man, because this guy was dead. I mean, the EMT and people had checked, he was dead and all of a sudden he pops back to life and he's talking about how his descent down into hell and these demons and these, these noises that he had heard and the stench he smelt and they were clawing at him and all this stuff and he's freaking out. And so the guy, of course, led him to the Lord. So you had the guy that was dead, that was being interviewed, and then the guy that had prayed for him that was being interviewed. But there's no way that that was natural. There was not CPR involved. You see what I'm saying? They didn't like defib. Clear, you know, they didn't do that. The guy just prayed and rebuked the spirit of death, and he had like a tongue or something. But anyway, it, he came back. So we've got to get a shift in our thinking. Because when heaven invades earth, all things are possible. Okay? Alright, so let me give you this. The 30, 60, and 100 fold. The 30 fold, think of it like the mountain that I talked about going up the mountain. The foot, the base of the mountain is like a 30 fold level. It's wide, there's a lot of people there. You go up the mountain halfway, that's like a 60 fold level. There's less people there. Then the mountain goes all the way up into high elevation, comes to a point that's 100-fold. There's fewer people there. Most people were content staying at the foot. They didn't want to exert the energy to go all the way to the top. At the foot of the mountain... It's I believe that our, our ministry is like, spiritually speaking, climbing up a mountain to higher heights. But at the foot of the mountain, you've got this 30-fold level of salvation, repentance, and servanthood. You're, you're saved. You're repenting of your sin. You're learning how to serve. And I want you to picture this. At the very foot of the mountain, this is important. It's like the death of Jesus. It's like the death of the cross. 
halfway up the mountain is the burial and the tomb. All the way up the top of the mountain is the resurrection from the dead. Go follow me. So you've got the death, then you've got the burial, then you've got the, the resurrection from the dead. Some people stop at the death part and they hang out there. Other people will get to the burial part, but they never get past it. Some people will get to the resurrected life a hundredfold. So at the foot of the mountain, you have salvation. There's a foundation that's laid, repentance of sin. It's like the outer court of the tabernacle. It's a child state, spiritually 30-fold, where the milk of the word is needed. A child state. The middle of the mountain, and here's where toes need to go ahead and curl them up. You ready? Or the middle of the mountain is 60-fold. This is where you learn how to be a prayer warrior and a priest unto God. You learn how to minister to God. You learn how to be like that tabernacle, the priest to the believers that I preached that whole series. You learn how to minister to the Lord. You learn how to be a prayer warrior. You learn how to be an intercessor. You learn how to function in the gifts. You learn how to move and cooperate with the Holy Ghost. It's like being a priest. This is the burial part. It's not enough just to die. You've got to be buried real good. Buried real good. And let me explain that. When Jesus was in the tomb, this is also where he confronted Satan. See, Jesus died on the cross. It's finished. They took his body down. They buried him in the tomb. Jesus, his physical body was in the tomb, but his spirit, he went down to the lower regions and he confronted the devil. It's in the Bible. And he confronted Satan face to face and took away from him the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So he went on his turf and conquered him. This is the, the foot of the mountain is like the promise. Halfway up the mountain is the wilderness time. Y'all follow me. This is really important tonight. I believe those that grasp hold of this word and get this word tonight are going to really, it's going to help you. So it's like the foot of the mountain is the promise. Halfway up the mountain is the wilderness time that you're going to go through. And the top of the mountain is the promised land for those that make it. So this is where I'm going to deal with some stuff just in general. But see, halfway up the mountain there, that's where you've got to learn, you and I have got to learn to be crucified with Christ. That it's not us who live anymore, it's Christ living through us. That's not just a death, that's also a burial. This halfway up the mountain area, this is where God buries things that used to hold you back. They're buried. They're not just dead, but they're buried, they're gone. And God will deal with stuff. I think some of the problems that a lot of Christians out there have, especially in America, listen to me is they kind of get this spoiled, spoiled brat syndrome where it's all about me. Their whole focus is introspective. It's always about me. What I want. How I want it. The way I want it. It's about my needs, the way I feel, the way I think. Me, me, me. And that's, uh, that's got to be buried real good. So let me explain that. You know, my wife has had, some people know her testimony, but my wife has had a rough past, I'm telling you. I grew up in a family of people that, that worshiped the devil. She went from the age of 11, ritualistically abused, satanically abused, sexually abused, drugs, you name it. It was horrible. But you look at her life now, and Jesus... I mean, it's amazing. She really is loving and honoring as a wife toward me, real respectful to me as an authority. She's got a great relationship with me, a great relationship with the Lord because she's been willing to die to self and go after God and let God heal her. But see, let me just say this. If my wife can come through it, anybody can come through it. Amen? But some people, they've gotten so stuck on themselves, they're so focused on themselves. Let me give you some advice. If you'll get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Jesus and focus on Him, there will be a change that comes. But if you're constantly introspective, focused on yourself. And let me tell you another thing. A lot of churches, you know where probably, this is, I believe this is an accurate statistic. You know where about 95% of church problems come from? 
selfish, spoiled brat people. I want it this way. Another person over there, no, I want it this way. Conflict. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Y'all don't amen me too much. I don't have a lot, I don't have problems with you guys. I'm just saying in a lot of ministries, a lot of churches out there, people, it's all about what I want. What I want. It's not about what the Lord, what would it be like if a whole group of people said, Jesus, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what you want. What would that be like? Think about it. Unity. But most people, it's, it's you know, here, here in the States where there's not a lot of persecution, um, a lot of people, they get so comfortable and they, they want it the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. It's all about me, me, me. You know? And we've got to get to a place where we're, we're dead to that. So this is the burial. This is the wilderness time. Where the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies so that it can bring forth fruit. Also, this is the time of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the holy place in the tabernacle of death to self. But this isn't just a repentance of sin. This is where the power of sin is broken. You see what I'm saying? This isn't just, Lord, forgive me. This is the power of that thing is being broken now because it's being buried in Christ. So this is a very important process in our lives. This is the place where when Jesus was in the tomb, he faced the devil. This is where you're going to face the devil. It's where you're going to have to come face to face with yourself. You know, I remember this guy from Britain, he had said, you know, he had went to a revival and he said, God dealt with me about the, the self-gods, the idol of self. There's an idol of self. Some people's greatest problem is it's just all about me. We've got to die to what we want, the way we want it, how we want it. We're being so easily offended with God. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended in me. You're not always going to understand. Some people are so easily offended with God. They're so easily offended with, with church and with people. That's because they ain't died real good yet. They haven't been buried yet. You know, get get to that place. Let me tell you something about the death. The death process smells. So some people, they walk around and they, there's a smell there, friend. They're in that dying process. Listen, go ahead and get it over with. Let it go ahead and be done so the smell will be gone. Okay, let's get this thing over with. But you can smell it on some people because they come to church and there's this conflict and these issues. It's me, me, me. Listen, we want to die completely so that he can live what his resurrected life through us. And let's, the level that we have died and been buried in Christ is the level of resurrection power that will come. So as you're going up the mountain, Number one, you've got to learn how to be saved, repent, and learn how to be a servant. But then God's going to start dealing with you about being a, a prayer warrior and a priest and start ministering to God. And in that place, God's going to start showing you things about yourself. The greatest prayer you could ever pray is, Lord, help me to quit blaming everybody else for my stuff. Yeah. That's pride, but a lot of people do that. Lord, I don't want to blame anybody else anymore. I'm not going to get offended. It's not everybody else's problems. It's me. And let the Lord take out a mirror, the laver. Let him take out the mirror and put it right here. Okay? And let let him give you a good look at yourself. And realize the problem isn't everybody else. You know, uh, well, it was my parents when I was growing up. Okay, and it was this. It is these people over here in this church and this person, and it, it's everybody. It's everybody else but me. You know, that's what some people are. No, it's not. The thing is, is that once you're once you're really crucified with Christ, and the, you know, if everything's right this way, everything's going to be okay this way too. And the problem is, well, why isn't things working out? Why aren't they like? Well, yeah. So let the Lord bury some stuff real good, or it's not going to come back. You know, it's buried. It's not just dead, it's way down there buried now. It's it's gone, okay? But the smartest prayer you can pray is, Lord, put a mirror in my face. Help me to see what I need to see so that I can change. Show me who I really am because I want to repent and change. If somebody's humble enough to pray that way, God will do it, and it'll be easy for them. But they're not, God will do it through trials. He'll still show you. You'll, you'll go through a trial and then all of a sudden it's not just you that sees it, it's everybody else that sees it too. 
a stench. There's something smells. There's, there's a stench. It's, here it comes. This person needs to bury that. Get rid of that. All right, so they get past now. God's wanting us to get past. Esther Seaman smelling himself. I'm just saying. What's going on? All right. <laughs> yes. So once you get past the middle of the mountain and there's a death and a burial, it's no longer about me. God's shown me me. I didn't like what I saw. I repented. I humbled myself. I got the junk out. And there's a death and there's a burial. In this place of being buried, I faced the stinky flesh of myself. I faced the worldliness that needed to get out of me. I faced the devil. Okay? And now I've got the keys, so to speak, of death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has helped me get the victory. Okay? All right. So now I've had a death and a burial. Now I'm going to move into resurrection life. The top of the mountain. The 100-fold. This is where you become more of a mother and father, so to speak, in the faith. Where you're able to really help and mentor young people. There's a kingly warrior. This is a kingly authority. You have an authority with heaven. You have authority with God. Let me tell you something. You can get... There's a big difference between power and authority. I want you to learn this. I, I learned this back, I don't know, in the mid-90s or something. God showed me this. There's a big difference between power and authority. The power of the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's a level of power that's there. I mean, I want more of the Lord, amen, more in and through my life than I have now. I'm sure you do too. But there's a power. There's an explosive power of the Holy Spirit. All right. That is different than authority. Authority is a ruling and reigning. Authority is different. Okay? A lot of people get these confused. But God will... Anybody that's baptized in the Holy Spirit... But you can get hands laid on you. Go to any given revival. Let them lay hands. There's a level of power that's going to be in your life. Just Even just from being around it. Okay? But God does not entrust authority to very many people. Because when you have real authority... What you say out of your mouth will have... It will happen. They may shock some people that hear that, but I'm going to tell you, your words will have real power, for real. Once you have spiritual authority, your words shift things. When, when, you, when you speak things, you, God's not going to give somebody great authority that's got an anger problem. God's not going to give authority to somebody that, that's like a child. I saw that, what Chris posted in Africa. <laughs> they gave, if you didn't see it, you need to repost that. All right, and those that are watching online or whatever, those that see this video, you... You need to look this up. Anyway, they, in Africa, they, some goofy guy, I'm assuming that he had been drinking. There's only one explanation for this. He gives a loaded machine gun to a monkey, for real. They all scatter, chairs go everywhere. They take off running, and the monkey's just shooting the machine gun like this, you know. That's, <laughs> what were they thinking? I remember the, you, when you watched the video, I mean, I probably fell down laughing. I don't remember. I was laughing hard, but. But you see the one guy give the monkey the machine gun. You hear other guys going, no, 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 you know, what are you doing? And they all start running. But that's exactly what I'm trying to say. God's not going to give authority to people that don't know that they're like a monkey with the machine gun. I mean, people everywhere is going to get hurt. God's got to develop you. God's got to prepare you where there's a humility and there's having his heart. When you have spiritual authority, hear me, when you have spiritual authority, what you bless will be blessed and what you curse will be cursed. So if you bless something that's of the devil, you made a big mistake. And if you curse something that's of God, you made a huge mistake. When you have a spiritual authority, there, there's like a key of David that you can open things. You've got to be really careful with authority. So when you reach the top of the mountain... God can start entrusting you with authority. Why? Because you were dead and you were buried. And all that, that worldliness, all that carnality, the death of Mr. Me took place and that spoiled brat syndrome died, it's buried. And the self-gods, all that junk that needed to be dealt with, God crucified it and he buried it real good. So it's dead. Now, as you reach the top of the mountain, the Lord can entrust you with some authority because he knows that you're going to be careful with it. 
This is the resurrected life. This is where this thing is going before Jesus comes. We've seen the 30-fold and we've seen the 60-fold. I mean, this is on an individual basis, I understand it, but on a corporate level. See, most people that are Christians across all of America, I'm talking about the real ones, they're really content at a 30-fold level. I mean, they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. They've been water baptized. And they got their little social club thing they go to every week. And that's, they're happy with it. They're content. There are some, though, that have wanted to go after more. And they've got into a full gospel circle, more spirit-filled, more charismatic, where the gifts are in operation, the power of the Holy Spirit's there. So now they're moving into more of a 60-fold level. But there's only a remnant that has gone after God, gone after revival, where there's something really significant going on. Does that make sense? It's like going up the mountain, and the mountain gets smaller as you go up. There's a huge amount of people down here, but there's not that many up top. So... Those that are going after God with all their heart, they're going after a move, a sovereign move of God. You guys know what I'm talking about with a sovereign move of God? We need to be faithful with what we have right now to be a witness and do the things that, that church life is, you know, you just be faithful. You keep winning souls. You keep reaching out. You keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. But when a sovereign moves, move of God comes, the Spirit of God invades, everything starts changing, and you just got to keep up. But people are going after that. Once you go from the 30 to the 60 and you're going after, see, the revival movement, there's people that don't want that because you're being persecuted. you got some people that, that say it's of the devil. you got other people that are persecuted for different reasons, but there's a persecution there. And there's a remnant that's willing to endure the persecution and go after God's presence. I love the, the book, The Final Quest by Rick Joyner, but the top of the mountains where God's manifest presence is. A place of healing and freedom. A place of revival and answered prayers. The resurrected life. Divine health, prosperity, and victory. This is where God's taken things. It's where God's taken things with you guys. I'm telling you, this, this ministry. And you know, I remember hearing about the Azusa Street Revival prophecy. I'd, I'd heard this many, many times. I, I watched that video out of IHOP. And they were talking about it being 2009. Um, yeah, that may be that it was 1909. I'm going to tell you, I believe that it began with the 90s, in my opinion, the beginning of it. God was was releasing something. And what you saw with Rodney Howard Brown come to America, out of Africa, there was there was like an ankle-deep move, but it was powerful. I don't know if you guys ever were there, but man, it was a powerful... And then with Toronto, it seemed to go knee-deep. With Brownsville, it was waist-deep, but it's about to go over the head. So God is taking things to where now... We're going to start getting out of even the 60-fold and start really going into something significant as a move of God in this nation. And God's looking for people that right now will let him crucify them with Christ. That there's death and they're buried with Christ so that they can walk in this resurrected life. They can be entrusted with authority. Now, the resurrected life, once God's got everything out of you, now you're you're not going to, you don't blame everybody else for your stuff anymore. Um... The spoiled brat syndrome's gone. It's not all about me. The death of Mr. Me has happened, all right? Happened halfway to, up the mountain. Halfway up the mountain is where my tomb is, okay? It's there. I'm dead and buried. Real good. Real good buried. And now you're at the top of the mountain, and there's a resurrected life. Let me show you something. I'm going to close with this. Ephesians 2.6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. Anybody ever read that? Because usually people just read the rest of it. It talks about, you know, saved by faith. You know, they, they read that part, but they don't really look at this. God has raised us up with Christ. What does raised up mean? It's resurrected. He's raised us up with Christ and seated us where? In heavenly realms. Where's Jesus exactly? So Jesus is not down here. And Jesus is not in the second heaven realm where princes and powers are in the demonic realm. No, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Once you've come into the resurrected life, you begin to come into a seated with Christ in heavenly realms life. I hope you get this. This is deep, but it's powerful. The 
Ephesians 1.15 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep um, asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of your glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Now listen to this. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. That's where we're supposed to be with him. There's a resurrected life of seated next to Jesus. That is where far above, not a little bit above. They're not like tickling the soles of your feet here. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And God has placed what? All things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It sounds like Luke ten nineteen, where we have authority over what? All the power of the enemy to tread upon snakes and scorpions and overcome what? All the power of the enemy. It will, nothing will harm you. But there's, there's a process. Somebody gets saved and says, yes, that's for me. True. But as long as you got all this stuff in your life, in you, inside you, that hasn't been crucified with Christ, the devil still has a lot of games he can play with your life until you get rid of all that. Amen? So what God is doing is he's releasing a baptism of fire that is going to help burn out all that junk and cleanse it out. All that easily offended with people's stuff, the bad attitudes... But you guys are great, so I can just really fire it off in here because nobody's going to get mad. And I just tell it like it is, you know. But all those bad attitudes, all the, 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 I'm telling I've seen people in the church world, 50, 60, 70 years old. Some of you can attest this. They were the biggest babies I've ever seen in my life. How many of you guys grew up in church? You guys seen them? They're sitting in my pew. The pastor didn't say hi to me. And they're, they're like 50, 60 years old. I'm serious. They're the biggest babies I've seen in life. And you're thinking, friend, you're still like at the foot of the mountain looking way up, aren't you? Let's get up there and let's get good and dead and buried real good. And just real good. <laughs> Tucked it way down in there. So that now you can enter a resurrected life where it's not all about me and my little feelings. I just got so hurt. And it's like, friend, listen. I understand we've all been hurt, but that's why I brought up my wife's story before. Top that one. I'm just saying. Top that. If she can get healed and over it, move on, anybody can. Amen? We've all been through stuff. Let's get over it. The death of Mr. Me. Let's leave it at the, the middle of the mountain. Let's die to it real good and let it be buried real good. And now let's enter into resurrection life. Because Paul said, I've got to forget what's behind and press on. You've got to. You've got to forget what's behind. You've got to get over it. Leave it there. Let it be dead and buried. Let Jesus put that mirror in front of your face. And you don't like what you see. That's a good thing. You're looking at it going, I don't like Mr. Me. I need to be more like Jesus. I'm looking at this and I don't like what I see. And Jesus says, that's a good place to be. Now, just you know how you get past the middle of the mountain? You don't make excuses. You don't blame everybody else. Your little offenses and all that, that's not going to work with Jesus. What you do is you say, Lord, forgive me. Change me. I surrender it. I humble myself. That's right there is what. Once you start praying like that, everything Jesus is showing you, you're just repenting. You're humbling yourself. Cleanse it out of me. Burn it out of me. What's happening is, is there's a death that's happening and a burial so that you can come into resurrection. And God wants you at 100-fold level. You've come into this place where now, you know, the seed has fallen on good soil. But do you want to live the rest of your life at 30-fold level? Do you want to even live the rest of your life at 60-fold, which is good? The greatest enemy of best is what's good. Because a lot of times people have something that's good and they just stop there. Well, this is good, but it's not best. There's a little cliche, and I normally don't like them, but this is a good one, about joy. And um, what it is, it's a little Christian cliche people use, but Jesus first, others second, yourself last. 
joy. That's how you'll find true joy in your life, and that's the death of Mr. Me. It's no longer about me. Jesus first, put others second, myself last. True joy. All right. What I feel that the Lord is doing is he's doing a real deep purging and cleansing in people. And it is really deep and really profound. Um, I need to close this so we can pray. You'll give me just two more minutes to tell a story real quick about Edward Miller. Edward Miller was um, the Argentine revival before it happened. He was the prayer warrior that birthed the revival. And he had just a handful of people. And I'm going to tell the story next week, okay? I'm going to preach on revival. Y'all need to be here. It's going to be powerful. I believe the anointing will be awesome next week because of what I'm preaching on. But Edward Miller, he had this handful of people. They had a move of God. I mean, a major move of God. But then out of that, they, they only had maybe 50 people or so in this little Bible school where he was training them. And uh, there was this young man that was not educated at all. And uh, he didn't really speak their dialect very well. He was out in the woods and he was just praying. And this angel shows up. And it scared him. And so he took off running. I mean, he's hauling. And the angel's right behind him. True story. He, he goes to bust into his dorm room. The door's locked. So he's beating on the door. He runs inside, shuts the door, and is trying to hide from this angel. I don't know why he was that scared of it, but he was. And the angel just came right in behind him. And as soon as the angel went into the room, somebody knows the door ain't going to stop. And so anyway, it was pretty funny. But he, the angel just goes right in, and the power of God hit the place, I mean, intense. You read about it. They said that it was like, this has happened to me before, but where you go from just absolutely no presence of God or nothing tangible to an awesome presence of God, like really fast like that, they said it overwhelmed them. They just were like, oh. And they said the presence of God was so intense. And they spent the next while really humbling themselves and repenting. They said they cried so many tears. Edward Miller said, I didn't know that somebody could cry that much. He said there was literally like a pool and in, in, in flowing of tears. He said, I didn't think that people could cry that much. He said there were people that would cry for hours and hours repenting of their sin, the sins of their nation. And, and listen, they prayed and repented of all of their sin. They, they, they renounced the world, the flesh, and the devil. Once they had thoroughly repented, this is the sixty. This is the middle. They were in the middle of the mountain. Once they had thoroughly repented, and I mean it was thorough. He said that burden lifted, and he said you couldn't even cry anymore. It was just like a joy came. But revival had been birthed right there, and God spoke to them and said, "If I can find fifty people," and he said, "I found fifty people right here that will renounce the world and the flesh and the devil." So I just asked this question. Is there people in the sound of my voice that will do that? That will really, really go after God and humble themselves and say, Lord, I want to see great things. I want to see the resurrected life myself. I want, I want to see it. I want to, I want to see the supernatural. I want to see God be able to move in an awesome way. And I'm willing, Lord, I want to humble myself and die to self. I want whatever needs to go, whatever I need to confess, whatever I need to repent of. If there's any worldliness, any carnality, anything in my life that's not right, and they really confessed and prayed, and they were serious, and there was a deep repentance. That's what God's looking for at the middle of the mountain. See, that's why a lot of people stay at the middle, because they don't deal with that. Does that make sense? Now, the churches say, well, we don't want sermons like that anymore. We just want feel-good sermons. We just want you to tell us how good we are, and um, just give us a bunch of spiritual Twinkies. We'll all be happy. We'll get our latte. We'll go home. Everybody's happy. And the the meat of the word, the, the word of God that will take you beyond the foot of the mountain up to the top, that's not being preached. The washing of the water of the word, the sanctifying work, that this type of sermon, you don't hear this a lot. But how many, and I believe I'm talking to people that will really go after God about this, how many people tonight will go after God and pray, Lord, I want the death of Mr. Me. I don't want any more me. I just want to die and be crucified with Christ. It's Jesus living through me. I want to be buried real good. No more easily offended stuff. No more big baby stuff. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about Jesus. It's what you want. What do you want with my life? I'm tired of running my own life. I want you to run my life. Tell me what you want me to do. Where do you want me to go? 
What do you want me to repent of? What do you want to change in me? That's where things are at right now. You know, Brother Zach, I want you to put on um, that intercession CD, actually, and play that. I want you guys, I'll pray with people tonight. I believe God will powerfully touch you, but I want you to pray about this and really think about it. Is there things in your life that, that you need to die to? Really have a deep purging, a deep cleansing, and, and a freedom. We can go ahead and shut down recordings and and guys that are live streaming or whatever, just feel free to pray with us. We're just going to put on some worship. I'm going to let people pray tonight. If you want prayer, I'll pray with you. But I want us to really go deeper in this. Listen, the depth that we're willing to go in repentance, and I believe that was what was so powerful at the Brownsville Revival because they would really pray. I remember Lyndall saying that, he said, man, he said, I would just go down there and, you know, the sermon be preached or whatever. And he's the worship leader. He said, I would just go down and get on my face before God and say, Lord, if there's anything else, just show me. Because I want to be clean. I want to be right with you. I want. I don't want anything in my life that's hindering the walk with God. And that was the heart at Brownsville. People had that heart. There was such a spirit of conviction. There. 